0: I looked at this uh, in September for the South Wales Prophecy Day, and I felt a little bit aggrieved because the other two speakers had some very big topics. So one brother spoke on Iran and another brother spoke on Egypt, two of the great world empires of history. Uh, and I had the Gaza Strip, which is like the, the back door of uh, Of Israel, hardly a place that would be something uh, you'd even notice on the map. And yet, as we read in Joel chapter 3, this tiny strip of land features in Bible prophecy. Did you notice in Joel chapter 3 and verse 4? It talks about two small enclaves, Uh, it talks about Tyre and Sidon. And it talks about the coasts of Palestine. And these truly are tiny pieces of land. And yet they are of significance in Bible prophecy. So let me just give you some sense of, um, of the size. Now, I don't know how many of you have been to Wales. And you know that Wales isn't a very big place. It's just a small part of the United Kingdom. Uh, it just is that little bit that sticks out. into the Irish Sea, pointing at uh, Canada and on the map of Wales. Now you can see that the down south there, we are living in a little promontory that sticks out into the into the white. But on on the side of Wales, you can see that little blue strip, that's the size of the Gaza strip today. In that tiny little uh, place, you have almost 2 million people living. Where I live on the Gale Peninsula, we have 100 people per square mile. In Gaza, they have 130 times that. So they have an immensely dense population. Now, I know you don't know much about Wales, but you know a bit about Ontario. So there's Ontario. And there's Wales in Ontario. So even the whole of Wales is hardly uh, of any note compared to the size of Ontario. Can you see the Gaza strip in Ontario? It might just look like a smudge on the screen, <laughs> a little red dot in the middle of Ontario. That's not where it really is, but that, that's the relative size. If you want to know where it really is, of course, you all know this, but why don't you open your Bibles uh, to your maps and just see this yourselves. So you go to the maps at the back and you go to, say, I don't know, the United Monarchy or something like that. And you look down at, uh, and find the Gaza Strip. And, of course, what you notice is that it was the land of the Philistines. But this land now is in the news quite a lot because it is really a troubled place. It is hugely overcrowded and it has been devastated by bombing and, uh, and so on. And this is quite an evocative picture that you think, it's this young Young man, if he'd been in Canada, maybe he would be attending the CYC. But what what does he have to look forward to? What prospects does he have? And that's one of the great problems. It's a very young population in the Gaza Strip, and they seem to have no hope. They've been locked up there. Uh, There are a perpetual refugee camp, a refugee camp which is as old as Israel itself. And they have really little prospect. So they're a, a seedbed for discontent, and, and quite understandably as well. And there's a lot of sympathy with the Gaza Strip in the West and in Britain in particular. And I've worked over the years, uh, as you know, as a doctor, but I knew a number of doctors and researchers who went out to Gaza to help in their holidays to help with medical care, uh, with planning. So one was an obstetrician, went out there to to help uh, deliver babies because there was a a sense that this was a great injustice. And of course, I have to say, from a human point of view, it is a great injustice. And that discontent, of course, it is the home of the Palestinians, who many of whom were displaced by the creation of the State of Israel uh, and after the Six Day War. Uh, where insurgency and attacks on Israel take place. So rockets being fired from the Gaza Strip into Israel has been a very common phenomenon. You may know that our younger son Ben is living out there and uh, he has seen rockets go over the apartment block where he was living, uh, over the university where he was working and he's seen fragments of the shells on the grass outside his his office, it's a real phenomenon. But when we look at our maps, what we see, it it was the territory of the Philistines. And this is, I think, a key to understanding why this place today is such a prominent place and, and understanding why Bible prophecy refers to it. Well, we know who the Philistines were. Their territory waxed and waned. So on that map on the screen there, uh, you'll see it's quite a, a substantial territory. It goes way up the coastal plain beyond Joppa. Uh, it would have taken in Tel Aviv. Uh, it's it's going right up into the hill country, uh, right up towards Beth Shemesh, uh, almost taking Lekish in certainly making great inroads into the territory of of Judah. But that that geographical size of the Philistine territories waxes and wanes, depending on how the spiritual condition of Israel is at any given time. The Philistines had chariots and of course chariots are not much good in the mountain territories of Judah. So the Philistines rode up and down the coastal plain and went up as far as the Jezreel plain and in fact came down the Jordan Valley. I don't know if you have heard uh, Brother Lane Rittmeyer's talks on Sodom, Uh, but uh, it looks like Sodom had some contact with the place where the Philistines came from. And I wouldn't be surprised if archaeologists don't show that there was a Philistine presence because you, you could ride your chariot all the way from Ashdod, all the way up the coast, across the plain and down the Jordan Valley, down towards the Dead Sea. Well, the name Philistine is interesting. Uh, it comes from the, um, as you see there, uh, somebody should admit Rafik and Rose. Uh, You can see there that it is the Hebrew word palisette and it means wanderer and it signifies the origin of the uh, Philistines. They came from another place. They were immigrants. They wandered into the land of Israel. And I think let's, let's turn to the passage. Let's turn to Amos chapter 9 and see what it says there about where these Philistines originally came from. It's quite a very in- interesting historical uh, reference. Amos chapter 9 verse 7. Okay, what have we got there? Amos chapter 9 verse 7. Are ye not as children of the Ethiopians, and to me O children of Israel saith Yahweh? Have not I brought up Israel out of the land of Egypt, and the Philistines from Kaftor and the Syrians from Kerr. The Philistines came from Kaftor. Now notice that they are spoken of at the time of Israel coming out of Egypt. Israel has been brought out of Egypt. The Philistines have come from Kaftor, and the Syrians from Kerr. Well, where was Kaftor? Kaftor was Crete. Kaftor was Crete. And Crete was a, a Greek island, of course, uh, but it was a very, very significant place. It's got a very, very important place in the history of the world. For a tiny island, it has uh, has really contributed more than you would expect. And it looks as if the... Cretans, uh, for various reasons like disasters, the area around Crete and that Aegean Sea area is subject to volcanic eruptions and underwater volcanic eruptions. And some of the islands have been overwhelmed uh, by uh, that sort of activity to the point that whole civilizations have been wiped out uh, in a very short period of time. And what scripture is telling us is this is where the Philistines came from. They came from the island of Crete. And they seem to have been what uh, is known in history as uh, some of the sea peoples. That is migrants uh, and traders and, and armies at times that Came across the Mediterranean Sea and landed on the coasts of Palestine and on the coasts of Egypt. And this is a a scene from uh, an engraving, an inscription uh, in Egypt from the time of Ramses II, which describes a battle called the Battle of the Delta. Uh, And it was the battle between the Egyptians and the Sea Peoples. I'm not saying these are Philistines and I'm not saying that I'm tying the chronology together exactly, but there were waves of sea people. So they're well known uh, that these sea peoples came across and set up their own camp on the land. And the link between Cretan Minoan civilization and the Philistine territories have been identified by archaeologists. And it seems to me quite likely that the Cretans, who were very well advanced, even at the time of Abraham, they were much, much more advanced than uh, even Mesopotamia. They had an amazingly sophisticated uh, system, temple system and uh, civil organization. The ruins of their cities are preserved on the island of Cretan as a tourist. You can go visit them. And it was really pretty impressive. Ruth and I did have a chance to go and see those uh, ancient ruins and the thought that they were from the time of Abraham was quite amazing. You would have thought that they were 2,000 years later on. It's possible that, that because they were so wealthy and they, they traded so effectively that they'd set up these bases and then in the great crisis uh, some of them came across and started the uh, the enclave that we know of the Philistines. There's something very interesting. This is uh, you can see this slide. Some of the burial sites of the Philistines have been unearthed and DNA has actually been extracted uh, from them, which is which is amazing. And uh, it is. Quite an amazing thought to think that you can see uh, uh, to D- get the DNA from ancient Philistines. And what they've shown uh, is that that ancient DNA sheds light on the genetic origins of Iron Age Philistines. I don't know if you can see that uh, I'd like to find my cursor so that I can uh, minimize that and admit grace. Welcome, Grace. Um, Ancient DNA sheds light, it says. This is uh, a science journal. And let me read what it says there. The ancient Mediterranean port of Ashkelon identified as Philistine during the Iron Age underwent a marked cultural change between the late Bronze Age and early Iron Age. It has been long debated whether this change was driven by a substantial movement of people possibly linked to a larger migration of the so-called sea peoples. Here we report genome white data of 10 Bronze and Iron Age individuals from Ashkelon. We find that the earlier Iron Age population was genetically distinct due to a European related admixture. In other words, they've dug up some Philistines and they found what the Bible says. They didn't belong to the Mediterranean population genetically. They came from Europe That's interesting Uh, uh, proof, I suppose, that the Bible was accurate in that startling statement that the Philistines had come from Crete. But notice the last sentence in this paragraph, it says this genetic signal is no longer detectable in the later Iron Age population. Our results support that a migration event occurred during the Bronze to Iron Age transition in Ashkelon, but did not leave a long lasting genetic signature. What that means is the Philistines intermarried with the local populations and that must have included the uh, uh, Israeli populations as well. They intermarried and their genetic distinctiveness didn't last that long, but that's an interesting insight. Where did they come from? Does the DNA sample confirm It was not just Europe, but it could narrow it down. Well, this is what they say. The four early Iron Age DNA samples include proportionally more additional European ancestry in their genetic signatures than in the pre-Philistine Bronze Age samples, according to researchers, while the origins of additional European ancestry are not conclusive. The most plausible models point to Greece, Crete and so on. Right. So Crete stands out as one of the areas, very small island, really. One of the areas where these people came from. That's exactly what the Bible had said. But their territory waxed and waned. I mentioned that. So if you want to turn to the book of Joshua, you can see their reference to the territory that they were given. Joshua chapter 13, verses 1 to 5. We um, note, now Joshua's old, well stricken and so on. And verse two says, "This is the land that yet remaineth all the border of the Philistines, right And then describes the, the, uh, the border of the Philistines, and that land would be given to Judah. Judah captured three of the cities but refu- failed really to remove the Philistines from, from all of their territory. And the reason that they failed, I'll turn over to judges chapter three. Have a look at Judges chapter 3. Have you got that? Judges chapter 3, verses uh, 3 and 4. It's interesting what it says. Namely, five lords of the Philistines. Okay, that's Gaza, Ashkelon, Ashdod, Ekron, and Gath. Five lords of the Philistines, and all the Canaanites, and the Sidonians, and the Hivites that dwell in Mount Lebanon from Mount Baal, Hermon, and to the entering in of Gath. And they were to prove Israel by them, to know whether they would hearken unto the commandments of Yahweh, which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. These are the nations, verse 1 says, these are the nations which Yahweh left to prove Israel. So Judah didn't manage that. I mean, if they'd had enough faith, then they would have got rid of them, but they didn't have sufficient courage and sufficient faith. And therefore the, the Philistines continued on. Sometimes their land was squeezed right down, but they were a constant presence, a constant thorn in the side of Israel. And that's quite interesting, don't you think, that they've survived all this time that God might prove Israel to see what sort of, um, what sort of condition they were in. In 1st Chronicles 18 verse 1, the Philistines were subjugated. Also in 1st Kings 4 verse 2, in the times of of Solomon, they were subjugated. 2nd Chronicles 17 verse 11, in the days of Jehoshaphat, the Philistines even brought presents. And in the days of Isaiah, 2nd Chronicles 26 verse 6, uh, the Philistines are still there and they have been spoken to. And I want us to turn to that. This is back to Amos chapter one. Amos chapter one is in the days of Isaiah. uh, And notice why the Philistines are rebuked. Notice why they're rebuked. Verse 6 of Amos 1. For thus saith Yahweh, for three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they carried away captive the whole captivity to deliver them up to Edom. But I will send a fire on the wall of Gaza which shall devour the palaces." And what was going on is something that we even see today. Human trafficking and ethnic cleansing. They carried away captive, the whole captivity. Now, we're not told which captivity, which people even are we told who were carried away. But the Philistines were involved in that. They were making profit from human trafficking. And that is, you know, you, you might you read that think, oh, that, that was those days. But actually, look what's happening today ethnic cleansing of uh, the Rohingyas in Myanmar, uh, United Nations Refugee Agency concerned about human trafficking. And it's there in the world in which we live on a vast scale. When we come to the time of, of Hezekiah, to uh, Isaiah chapter 14. Uh, we find here that the Philistines come in for some heavy judgments. Isaiah chapter 14. It's good if we all turn these up as well. Uh, Isaiah chapter 14, verse 29. And this says, in the year that King Ahaz died was this burden. Rejoice not, thou whole Palestina, because the rod of him that smote thee is broken. For out of the serpent's root shall come forth a cockatrice, and his fruit shall be a fiery flying serpent. And the firstborn of the poor shall feed, and the needy shall lie down in safety. And I will kill the root with famine, and he shall slay thy remnant. Howl, O gate, cry, O city, thou whole Palestina are dissolved, for there shall come from the north a smoke and none shall uh, be alone in his appointed times. So the fact we want to point out here is that what the Philistines, because Palestine is the same Hebrew as Philistine. Right. Uh, we've come back to that. But Palestine are the Philistines. What were they doing? They were rejoicing over the calamity of Judah. And so all these hundreds of years, there's been this uh, animosity between the Palestinians and Israel. And Psalm 83 really does sum up what this uh, hostility is, what this spirit is of these people, these Philistine people living in in the Gaza Strip, more or less of it, uh, over the different eras. This is their outlook. And Psalm 83 captures it because Psalm 83 describes the nations surrounding Israel and their deep hatred of Israel. We might ask, you know, when did this psalm apply to, when in history, when in modern times? And I think it captures all of the animosity up until and including the days in which we live. And you see, there they are in verse seven. Gibel, Ammon, Amalek, the Philistines with the inhabitants of Tyre. The Philistines with the inhabitants of Tyre. What have they said? Verse four. They have said, come, let us cut them off from being a nation, that the name of Israel be no more. In remembrance right now that to me is such an important point I know it's not just the Philistines there's the uh, southern Lebanese uh, there the Ishmaelites that's uh, southern Jordan northern Saudi Arabia and so on but those Arab peoples surrounding Israel have got this hostility to the very existence of the nation of Israel remember in uh, 1948 to 1967, those Arab countries uh, wanted to celebrate pushing Israel into the sea to cut them off from being a nation. The other passage I think is of uh, real significance is Ezekiel 25 and verse 15. By the way, this is a poster from uh, modern days. It's, it's, it's a recent poster. I got it from uh, the website on a university website in America um, and this is quoting the Hamas Charter. Hamas uh, is the ruling party of Gaza at the moment, and their charter says Israel will exist and will it continue to exist until Islam will obliterate it. From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. And that's what they're chanting there in that in that slide. So just look now at Ezekiel twenty-five verse fifteen. Thus saith the Lord God, because the Philistines have dealt by revenge, and have taken vengeance with a despiteful heart to destroy it for the old hatred. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, behold, I will stretch up my hand upon the Philistines. So can you see how the Philistines are being described here? They're surviving as a thorn in the side of Israel, as a test for Israel to see whether Israel will trust in God. They don't disappear. They're always there and they have this ancient hatred, this ancient animosity to the very existence of Israel. They may be subjugated at times, they may bring presents because politically that's the right thing to do, but there is deep in their hearts an old hatred. I haven't said that, I do need to uh, tell you about some surprising Philistines that will remind us all really, because we mustn't uh, you know, make judgments in terms of, well, that means nobody from the Gaza Strip, uh, nobody uh, uh, of that uh, heritage, uh, can have hope. Well, of course, that would be completely wrong. We're talking about uh, of national, uh, not in individual uh, attitudes, aren't we? And you think that Obed-Eda, Obed-Eda who uh, looked after the Ark for three months, well, he was a Gittite. He was a Gentile from Garth. He was from the Gaza Strip, and yet he was given responsibility for the Ark. David had 600 men with him, which came with him from Garth. They're from the Gaza Strip and they were his most trusted bodyguards, the and the Pelethites of uh, it seems of of Cretan origin uh, were his bodyguards. It looks like that David had uh, Greek soldiers as his most trusted companions and they would come with him from Garth. Then we have Ittai the Gittite. And he makes one of the most uh, wonderful statements of faith that you could wish anybody to make. Never mind a Gentile. It's reminiscent of the great statement that Ruth makes. It I answered the king and said, As Yahweh liveth, and as my Lord the King liveth, surely in what place my Lord the King shall be, whether in death or life, even there also will thy servant be. So, there were. People of Garth who were people of faith, who espoused the hope of Israel, who worshiped the God of Israel and who are embraced in the promises. You know, when when Samson takes the gates of Garth to Hebron, uh, what what does he do it for? Because he is demonstrating that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to possess the gates and control it, but it's it's a blessing. It's not just conquest, is it? In thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. But come back to uh, the nation, the people as a whole. What happened to the Philistines was Zephaniah chapter two tells us that they actually were going to be terminated. Woe unto the inhabitants of the seacoast, the nation of the Kerathites, the word of Yahweh is against you, O Cain, of the land of the Philistines. I will even destroy thee, that there shall be no inhabitant. And yet, okay, the Philistines were going to come to an end. Uh, the Babylonians and then uh, other invaders, you know, wiped out those ancient peoples from that coastal strip. Well, that's the end of them, but but obviously it's not the end of them, is it? Because we have um, these prophecies, Joel 3, Isaiah 11, Obadiah 19, uh, which tell us that somehow, somehow, the coasts of Palestine are going to still be a thorn in the side of Israel, the ancient Enmity is going to persist. So we've got Joel chapter 3, which we've just read And we've also got Isaiah chapter 11 might want to look at Isaiah chapter 11 because we haven't We haven't read that yet. So Isaiah chapter 11 tells us And of course it's it's a kingdom passage. There's no doubt Joel 3 and and Isaiah 11 are latter-day prophecies Joel 3 it says when God brings again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, he goes on to talk about Armageddon and, and uh, the kingdom. No doubt Joel 3 is latter day. Isaiah 11. No doubt about it that it's latter day. It's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ reigning in righteousness about Jerusalem uh, and the holy mountain. It says in verse 9, the earth shall be full of the knowledge of Yahweh as the waters cover the sea. And in that day uh, there shall be a, a root of Jesse. Uh, An ensign will be set up the the outcasts of Israel shall come. And then it says uh, in verse 14, but they shall fly upon the shoulder of the Philistines. So the Philistines somehow are back where they used to be. And that is something that uh, is quite amazing. Now, it can't be the actual genetic stock of the Philistines because they, they were to be disappeared. Zephaniah chapter two tells us that. So who are the latter day Philistines? Who are they? Well, Let's look. The Philistines had European links, European origins indeed. They occupied the territory given to Judah. They were a continual thorn in the side of Israel. They had an ancient hatred. They rejoiced at Israel's calamity. They were opportunists. They were spoilers. They came in uh, on the edge of other invaders and they spoiled what they could. And they're often linked to Tyre and Sidon. And I mentioned this. I won't turn the passage up, but if you want to take a note, we looked at it in, in Psalm 83, verse 7. Uh, it's also there in Jeremiah 47, 4. It's also there in Joel, chapter 3, verse 4. Of course, you anticipate The Latter-day Philistines are very much in the Gaza Strip. Hamas, the Palestinian uh, uh, rulers there, have all of those characteristics. What about Tyre and Sidon? Well, in Tyre and Sidon, in southern Lebanon, Hezbollah are their counterparts. Are equally uh, have an equal hatred to Israel and who would love also to be firing rockets as often as they could, and both are dedicated to the removal of Israel from what they call their land of Palestine. Now, you we think, well, is this sufficient to identify? The latter day Philistines, but let's look at this word Philistine. Let's look at the origin of the name. The word Palestine derives from Philistia says Encyclopedia Britannica. The name was given by Greek writers to the land of the Philistines in the 12th century occupied a small pocket of land on the southern coast between modern Tel Aviv, Jaffa and Gaza. The name was revived by the Romans in the second century of the common era in Syria, Palestina. So when the Romans made their maps, they used the Philistines name. To describe the territory. Now, do you know why they did that? Did they do it in ignorance of what the Bible says about the Philistines? No, they did it knowing that history. It was Emperor Hadrian who had such a hatred of the Jews that he deliberately wished to insult them and wipe their name. Off the map, therefore, he changed the name of the area of Judea to the name of their ancient enemies, the Philistines, by calling it Palestina. But he did this in uh, AD 134 after the Bar Kokhba revolt. You remember that, uh, and he Built on the site of Jerusalem, a new city to signify that he ploughed it with a field fulfilling Micah's prophecy. But look what he did. He he said, you're not going to call it Judea. You're going to call it the land of the Philistines from now on. And he signaled how prophecy would continue through the centuries that the Palestinians would, it seems, be confined to an enclave in the territory of the ancient Philistines from whence they would perpetuate the ancient hatred. So just see whether this was true in history, right? You've got there, uh, on the left there, the province of Syria-Palestina, Uh, after Hadrian, and you see that the whole area of uh, what we would call Israel today, Israel, Lebanon, and so on, is called Palestina, land of the Philistines. You go to the the Byzantine Empire on the right, uh, the whole area is uh, the province of the Philistines, Palestina. What the Bible says is the Philistines are toward the West, the shoulder of the land. Well, throughout the Arab empires took over from the Romans. There was no country called the Gaza Strip. There was a city, Gaza. Uh, it, it was rebuilt very often. It often was a center of trade and culture. Uh, in the time of the Turks, there was a renaissance in Gaza uh, and uh, it became a prosperous area and then it declined and Came back again and declined. It went through its own cycles, but there was no separate entity that you could call the land of the Philistines. It was now the empire of the Ottomans. When the British took over, the whole of that area on the west side of the Jordan was called Palestine, the land of the Philistines. Now, we need for Bible prophecy for it to be pushed into. The old territory of the Philistines. Well what happened was that the Jews came back into the land and fulfilled the Bible prophecy and they developed their own uh, areas, they bought land, they built their kibbutz and and so on and you can see the Jewish land ownership was mainly to the north, mainly around Gaza and the northern part of uh, the coastal strip, not uh, Galilee, rather Gaza, I can see that up up there in the north, rather than look down to Rafa, uh, Gaza, Al Majal, not much in the way of Jewish presence. So when the land was divided up, this is a photo of the map, the actual map that was used to plan the partition of the land between Jewish and Arab states in 1947. The red is Arab and the green uh, is uh, Jewish and the Jewish area represents where uh, the Jewish population had developed and it wasn't down there in the Gaza Strip. So that remained with the Arabs and it was Egypt who took Control. They didn't, ever, didn't absorb it into Egypt, but they took control of the territory and the West Bank, um, the, the mountains of Israel, as we would know them, uh, Samaria and Judea was under the control of Jordan. So that's the beginnings of the Palestinian distinctive local presence. On map, and then we come to 1948 when the surrounding nations wanted to eliminate the uh, nascent state of Israel, and the Egyptian forces attacked through the Gaza Strip, and they uh, pushed up against uh, the Israeli fighters, and in the uh, Armistice Line, Gaza remained. With the Arab side, the West Bank side was shrunk down quite a lot, Israel oppressed and won more land. But that was the armistice land, and now you can see all of a sudden the Gaza Strip has come back into existence as a distinct entity for hundreds of years, just like you know, the Jewish state, there was none, it wasn't a Gaza state, it wasn't a Jewish state. Throughout the Ottoman uh, and before that the Arab uh, empires, uh, and before that the Roman Empire, uh, after eighty seventy, uh, you know, there wasn't there wasn't a Gaza Strip uh, political entity, just as there wasn't a Jewish entity. The the, the Palestinian Philistine presence has reemerged as a consequence. Of the fulfillment of Bible prophecy concerning Israel, but in its own turn comes to be a fulfillment of its own specific prophecies. In 1967, uh, Israel uh, was attacked and expanded its own territory and took um, control of the West Bank and took control Of the Gaza Strip. But although they had settlers that set up their presence in the Gaza Strip, Gaza wasn't ever taken in to the land of Israel as the West Bank settlements have been taken in. So it was Yasser Arafat who gave the Palestinian people their national identity as a consequence of the conflict With Israel. And the Palestinians then have been in uh, argument, war, and negotiation with Israel to develop their own existence and their own state. There have been many of these accords attempted, uh, the West Bank and the Gaza Strip being the Palestinian, Philistine, you might say, latter day Philistine presence. The Palestinian Authority was created in 1994 as a result of the Oslo Accords. And in 2012, the United Nations recognized the state of Palestine flying its flag outside United Nations building. But just think about this. This is a a, a little bit of a problem for Bible prophecy. Because the state of Palestine is two bits, the West Bank. And the Gaza Strip and one of those territories, the West Bank, which corresponds to the mountains of Israel, is mentioned in Ezekiel 38. As being under the possession of Israel when Gog invades the land. So somehow the West Bank has to come under the uh, sovereignty of Israel be possessed by Israel and be populated by Israel, whereas the Gaza Strip needs to be kept separate from that development because the Gaza Strip, the land of the Philistines, toward the west, the coast of the Philistines that Joel talks about, has to be a separate entity. Well, isn't that amazing? You know, there were, brethren, brave enough to uh, write about this ahead of time. And when the nation of the Palestinians was, it seemed, inevitably going to be set up to say, but it can't last because Israel must take the West Bank. And we can see how the history of the West Bank and the Gaza Strip has diverged over time. So we had these attempts at peace. Uh, Arafat was a big disappointment to Bill Clinton. He says, I regret that in 2000, Arafat missed the opportunity to bring that nation into being and pray for the day with the dreams of the Palestinian people for a state and a better life will be realized. There, he, he was almost, he, the Israelis had agreed to give him everything he asked for, even Jerusalem, even Old Jerusalem except for the tunnels under the wall. And they wanted to keep the tunnels because that proved their priority. It proved that they were there first. And Arafat wouldn't accept that. He wouldn't accept. He told Bill Clinton, there never was a Jewish temple in Jerusalem. Uh, And, uh, you know, the Israeli prime minister said, so where did Jesus go? The, The mosque? Uh, And and the talks collapsed. Uh, Well, after the breakdown of the Accords, Israel took unilateral action and Prime Minister Ariel Sharon unilaterally withdrew his troops from Gaza. They conquered it in 67. But now they unilaterally withdrew their troops and they forced the settlers. Now that battle, you can see in that picture, is between the settlers, the Jewish settlers, the Israeli settlers and the Israeli authorities. He forced them to withdraw and that enabled Gaza to keep this identity. Now he's going to do the same for the West Bank. But he had a stroke and he was taken out of it before he could withdraw the settlers from the West Bank. As a result of that unilateral withdrawal, elections took place in the Gaza Strip and it swept Hamas to victory. Hamas, a more militant form of Palestinian nationalism linked to the Muslim Brotherhood uh, in Egypt and they came to power and when they came to power they had their own civil war with the Palestinian Authority and they threw out the Fatah party of Mahmoud Abbas and took sole control of Gaza. So now these two areas of potential Palestinian nationhood go in different directions. The West Bank is allowed to uh, stay with the Palestinian Authority and the Jewish settlers, of course, have expanded and expanded and expanded. World attention has come off the West Bank. Other things have been going on. Uh, It's never been incorporated into a Palestinian state. On the other hand, Gaza, Uh, has remained this uh, solid enclave, where Israeli settlers have been removed. Uh, And let's look then at who uh, Hamas is and what they are uh, what they are dedicated to. Now these these are the latter-day Philistines in the Gaza Strip. The Islamic resistance movement is a distinguished Palestinian movement whose allegiance is to Allah and whose way of life is Islam. And this is Article 6 on the destruction of Israel. And they say the land of Palestine, and they mean the whole of the land of Israel as well, the land of Palestine is an Islamic waqf consecrated for future Muslim generations until Judgment Day. No one can renounce it or any part or abandon it. Or any part. This is the ancient hatred that Psalm 83 uh, talked about. Come, let us cut them off from being a nation. And the hotbed of this anti Israel hatred is really in the two areas that the Bible prophecy has picked out the Gaza Strip and southern Lebanon, the territory of Hamas and Hezbollah. Uh, the Gaza wars show this uh, animosity, right? And it's going to continue, of course, right up until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 11 says, They shall fly upon the shoulders of the Philistines toward the West. Are they still going to be there? And these wars have shown that animosity. Uh, they have stockpiled their uh, rockets and they are now able. It seems have the capacity to to shell way beyond Jerusalem and Tel Aviv. And to contain them, Israel has built a wall around Gaza, so in a sense, defining it as a separate entity. And tunnels are built by uh, the Palestinians uh, from Egypt under the wall and also they built tunnels under the wall into Israel so that they can bring insurgents through the tunnels and attack Israel. The Egyptian tunnels are mainly for supply for armaments and uh, and food and necessities. And so what we've got is these uh, latter-day prophecies that now are pointed up in sharp relief in the in the newspapers of the of our day. Look at that. I mentioned Tyre and Sidon twinned with the coasts of Palestine. And that's, that is remarkable because Hezbollah or Hezbollah and Hamas are on different sides of the Islamic world. Hezbollah are Shiite. Hamas are Sunni Muslims. There's a bitter division between those two. Hezbollah is linked to Iran, Hamas has been more linked to the majority uh, Sunni Muslims. But now they are cooperating together against a common enemy. I think that's really amazing. I've noticed also in Joel chapter 3, they've yet to play their full part because when gold comes down, they're going to be terrible for terrible. Um, destruction in Israel just as you've seen in Syria millions of people fleeing so there are going to be millions of refugees uh, and uh, people taken, trafficked out of the land and it looks like Gaza is going to be a centre for that look how they're taken to task in verse 6 of Joel 3 the children of Judah and the children of Jerusalem have he sold unto the Grecians? And the Hebrew for the Grecians is the sons of Javan. And the sons of Javan in Genesis 10 include Elisha and Tarshish. The Western European peoples, it looks like, are going to have a link to uh, Gaza, uh, a link which is going to be exploited by the people traffickers who are going to make money out of the terrible a uh, situation that Israel will find itself in before the Lord Jesus Christ comes to uh, redeem them. So we can see how things are going and we can see that Gaza is now primed for its final role in the great uh, situation which is, is, is going to come. We don't relish it. We just know it's going to happen. And we're going to see that. Now peace has broken out, uh, at least it was breaking out under Donald Trump's um, influence and the Arabs were going to uh, do something they've never done before which is agree to trade and recognize the nation of Israel. What will happen with the Palestinians? Well they've sort of been forgotten about haven't they? They've been marginalized but they haven't their nationhood is really in doubt. If they become a nation, personally, I will be surprised. Because the West Bank is, you know, we're told going to be under the jurisdiction and populated by Israel. Not to the exclusion of, of the Palestinians, but uh, certainly there's sufficient presence there, as I think that is the case today. But Gaza is going to remain They will probably be quiet for a while because they're not going to want to be part of uh, the uh, uh, the final. uh, They're not going to want to be an impediment. They're going to want to benefit from these things. So. When we move forward. What are we going to see? This peace treaty is developing as we would expect, a vision of peace and security under the Abrahamic Accords. We're going to see a change in the global Muslim mind towards Israel. Now I'm going to suggest something that we might look out for in in the news. And that is whether Gaza, which has always been a seaport will be redeveloped for prosperity purposes to keep the people in, uh, in the Gaza Strip uh, involved in, in the peace that is going to develop in the Middle East before Russia invades. And there have been plans for a Gaza seaport. seaport. And I do think that if Gaza is going to be a centre for exporting the sad refugees of Israel, which Joel three suggests then we will may well see that. Gaza also though has got its own marine gas fields which may be another reason why the seaport is going to be developed uh, for exporting gas and this is the most recent uh, headline I've got from the Jerusalem Post this week that the Palestinians have now uh, started to discuss security once again with Israel. So what I'm expecting, young people, is that there will be a period of peace, uh, unexpected as it may seem, and maybe of short duration. Maybe it's going to be brokered not by America, but by Russia. uh, And it will seem that the Arabs and Israel are getting together to develop economic ties and so on. Gaza benefits, it develops, But the ancient hatred remains and they will play their part uh, in that terrible time. But then the Lord Jesus Christ will come with his saints because the saints will have already been called away to judgment. And when the Lord Jesus comes to Jerusalem, the saints are with the Lord Jesus Christ and the kingdom is established. The Jewish outcasts are brought back. And all nations come under the sway of the righteous judge, the king, whom God has appointed to rule the world. And little old Gaza would have been a sign and a witness to the wonderful truth of these prophecies.